0: Father God, we thank you, first of all, for for your presence in this place. We thank you for your presence, Lord, for those in in the homes of those that are watching also. And Father, we, we expect wonderful things. We pray for a Holy Ghost encounter this morning. We pray for a mighty move. We ask, Father God, that you make it clear to us what you are saying to us from your scriptures. Father, convict us and then convert us into your way of thinking. Father, we pray in the name of Jesus that we call on the Holy Spirit to direct us and provide godly counsel where we need it most. And Lord, for this we thank you, Father, as your words flow through these lips of clay and minister to each and every one of us this morning. And for this we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. And all of God's people say, Amen. Amen. I read somewhere where there was many Christians who are working very hard at the Christian life. They're doing overtime effort. They're coming to church on Sundays. They're reading their Bibles every day. They're praying every day, and they're just doing their best. And that's all right. That's all good. But they're failing. All of their efforts is just not working. They're making promises. They're making commitments. They're recommitting. They're making resolutions. They're re-resolutions. And we're talking about sincere and honest Christians who are doing their very best, trying to do their very best. But many of them are failing and have become frustrated because they don't see any changes in their lives, even though they're doing all of the right things to do that. Perhaps maybe I'm speaking to some of you this morning. But here's the problem. Many of us are so focused on ourselves that we're completely missing out on what God is really looking for. And it is God's goal. It is his purpose that we all be conformed into the image of his son. It is his objective that we become more like Jesus. Go with me to Romans chapter 8 and let's look at verse 29 as we begin this message. Romans 8 and verse 29 says this, For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. The Amplified Version says it like this, To be molded into the image of his Son, and to share inwardly his likeness. Becoming more and more like Jesus should be the desire of every Christian. Because for the Christian, the goal, or I should say heaven, is not a goal, heaven is a destination. The goal, which is God's goal, is to be conformed into the image of his son, is to be just like Jesus. When Jesus walked the earth, the Bible described him as being the the brightness of God's glory and the express image of his likeness. It also goes on to say that he is the image of the invisible God. That means that when Jesus was living on this earth, when he was walking and breathing on this earth, he was the fullest and the most complete example of a human in God's image. This This is how God had created us. Or created man from the beginning in the image and likeness of himself. It was the perfect blueprint for all of mankind. Are you hearing me this morning? To be created in God's image means that God Himself has determined how we are to live and behave here on this earth. And for us to live here, our goal is to express the image of His Son in everything that we do, because He Himself walked in the image of the Father. And so, therefore, we have to reflect his character and his nature while here on this earth. To be like Jesus or to be Christ-like simply means to emulate or to imitate or to model after Jesus in all that he is. Not because you're stressing and straining and making every effort to become like him. No, simply because Christ is already in you. I like what the Apostle Paul says. He says in Galatians 2 verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. But Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God. Who loved me. And gave himself for me. So the very life of Jesus flowed through Paul. And the fact that Christ was in him made all the difference in Paul's life. Without Christ being in Paul, Paul would not have accomplished all the things that he had accomplished throughout his ministry. Without Christ being in Paul, he would not have overcome all of the wonderful, all the, the terrible things that he had to overcome throughout his ministry. Jesus is what made the difference in his life. So being a Christian means that you are changed on the inside And not control from the outside. It means that uh, that our hearts have been changed by the presence of Jesus in us. Now, listen very carefully to what I'm about to say to you this morning. Being a Christian does not mean that you're required to go to church on Sunday. I'll say that again in case you didn't hear what I said. Being a Christian does not mean that you're required to go to church on Sunday. Being a Christian does not mean that you're required to pay your tithes. Being a Christian does not mean that you're required to read your Bible every day, to pray every day, to be good every day, or to do anything to be in Christ. Being a Christian simply means... That you decide to do all of these things because you changed. Once, Christ, once we're in Christ and Christ is in us, everything changes. Amen. Amen. Every one of us who had given their lives to the Lord has experienced God's awesome power of change. You remember that, right? Your ideas have changed. Your perspective has changed. Your attitudes have changed. Even your values and your actions has changed. Everything changes. And Paul explains this change over in Second Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17, a very familiar verse of Scripture. If you go there with me, and Paul says this, Therefore, if anyone or any man is in Christ, he is a new creation or a new creature. All things are passed away, and behold, all things have become new. You know how many of us have certain verses of Scripture that we hold on to? Scriptures that, are, that have some significant meaning to us because of, of a personal experience that we've had because of that Scripture? Scriptures that have encouraged us? Uh, scriptures that have built up our faith? Scriptures that have given us hope? For me, this is one of those Scriptures. Because this Scripture set me free. You know, the Bible says that you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. Well, this verse liberated me. It helped lifted the condemnation from my life. And when Paul says that all things have passed away, what he's talking about, the old things, is is referring to the old you, the old attitude, the old perspective, the old ideas that we once had, the old way of life. But understand that God did not change the old you to become the new you. No, what God did, because that old you is dead. It's done. What he did was he exchanged the old for something new, a new and better you. And so the the scripture says that there's an exchange that is taking place from the old way of life to a new and better life in Christ. And that life is to grow in grace and to mature in faith over time. And so the reason for change is because change is necessary. Everybody needs change. Can I get a witness here this morning? I like what Leo Tolstoy said. He said, everyone thinks of changing humanity and nobody thinks about changing himself. In order for us to become better and more productive Christians, change must take place in our lives. Change is necessary. Everybody here has something in their lives that needs to change. Change. I want you to turn to your neighbor and tell them, you need to change. If I was to ask for a show of hands of all those who need to change something in their lives, I would almost guarantee that every hand would go up. you know it? I know it. But more importantly, God knows it. But God wants to change you. God knew immediately that change was necessary when Adam and Eve failed in the garden. When sin entered into the world, it changed all of mankind for the worse. And because of the spiritual condition of mankind, because of Adam's failure, God knew that he could not allow mankind to remain as they are. He also understood that it is impossible for us to become all that God has created us to be on our own. You know, anyone, anyone can try covering up an issue in their lives with praise and worship, with a hallelujah here and an amen there. But, but we know that th- that stuff doesn't work. We know that that stuff doesn't last. Because sooner or later, all those issues that you try and cover up will eventually leak out in your life. But God knows what changes are needed in your life. And the time for change... Is when God convicts us of a change, when God tells us there's an area in our lives that we need to change, that's the time that we need to change. And here's something else. We know that first of all, when we first came to the Lord, many of us came broken, weak, crushed, and we were a complete mess. I like what Mack Luscato said. Mack Luscato is one of the well known authors and, and, a, and a, a pastor of a large church in Texas. But he made this statement in one of his books. He says, God loves you just the way you are, but he refuses to leave you that way. He wants you to be just like Jesus. And there's another well known author who wrote a book describing God's love for us. And he uses his daughter as an illustration. He says this, that when his daughter was a toddler, he would often take her to the playground not far from his house. And one day she was playing in the sandbox as an ice cream guy comes along selling ice cream. So he goes to get to the ice cream guy to buy a treat for his daughter. And when he turned around to give his daughter a treat, her mouth was full of sand. What he intended to put in her mouth, she had put sand. And so he asked this question. He says this, he says, Do I still love my daughter with all that sand in her mouth? And his answer was, absolutely. But then he asked a second question. Was I going to allow her to keep that sand in her mouth? And his answer was, of course not. So what he did was he picked up his daughter, carried her over to the water fountain, and washed out her mouth. Why? Because God loved her. God, lo- Because he loved her. He loved her enough. Just, I mean, he loved her just the way she was, but he loved her too much to allow her to stay in that condition. God promised to do the same thing for us. He loves you just the way you are, but he refuses to leave you where you are. And the scriptures bear witness to that. Go to Romans chapter 5 and look at verse 8. It says God, But God demonstrates his own love towards us. In that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we still had sin in our mouth, Christ died for us. While we were still weak, when we were crushed, when we were broken, when we were a complete mess, Christ died for us. When Adam and Eve failed in the garden, when they disobeyed God, God knew that this was going to affect his plan for all of mankind. But what God did was he set into motion the possibility for change through his son. Because he loves us and he refuses to leave us in our sinful mess. God wants us to be like Jesus. Turn to your neighbor and tell them, change is necessary. Go with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and look at verse 18. In 2 Corinthians 3, 18, there are a couple of things that I want to point out to you here. First of all, let's read, But we all, with open face, beholding as in a glass, the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory even as by the Spirit of the Lord. Change does not end after we first receive Christ. That is the, that's just the first step. That is just the first step of change. The Christian life is a lifelong progressive movement towards spiritual maturity. It's an ongoing process. That phrase here where it says change from glory to glory It it indicates that it it implies that a progressive change that is taking place in our lives. It is an ever-increasing change from one degree of glory to a higher degree of glory to an even higher and more glorious degree of glory. We are progressively being changed into the likeness of, of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the glory of the Christian is the reflection of the glory of the Lord. When we first invited Christ into our hearts, we experienced that joy. We experienced that hope. We experienced that peace. But the problem is many have settled in that first stage. We've remained stuck in that first stage of glory. But the scripture tells us that there are several stages to this glory that God wants us to experience. This glory is unlimited, but yet we're stuck in the first step. And this is why so many people have not changed in their lives. Because they still remain in that first stage of glory. And listen, God is not satisfied with you just taking your first step into your new life. Just like a parent is not satisfied with the child taking their first step. Now, don't get me wrong. The first step is a great thing. It, it was, it's an exciting thing. But let's not get stuck in just the introduction to spiritual life. I would be concerned if I had a five-year-old who's still taking their first step. Something is wrong. But Paul is saying we are being changed into the image of his son from glory to glory. And this change is an ongoing process that continues on throughout our lives. Something else I want, you to, sh- that I want to show you here in this verse, and that's the word change. It's an interesting word. Because that word change is made up of is a Greek word that is called that is metamorphoo, if I if I'm pronouncing it right, and it's made up of two Greek words. The first part of that word meta carries the idea of an exchange that's taking place. The second part of that word is morphoo, which refers to the real inner essence of a person or a thing. If this word was applied to us, it would describe the real you, the, the true nature of who you really are. And how that works its way out, outward into our behavior and into our lives. Are are you with me this morning? But if you put those both words together, it means to transfigure or to transform one's appearance. So we're looking about, uh, we're looking at a a real, an actual transformation, As a matter of fact, it comes from the word metamorphosis. And we all know what that word is. We've heard it before. And and this word metamorphosis describes a change of the form or nature of a thing or of a person into something completely different. And it comes by natural or by supernatural means. Let me put it to you another way. It is the exchanging of our present appearance for something different and something far more glorious. So when it comes to becoming like Christ, it's like the metamorphosis or the transformation of a caterpillar, where there's an ugly-looking grub, and not that I'm calling any of you an ugly-looking grub, but please don't get that twisted. But in one sense, you have an ugly-looking grub, and then there's this wonderful, beautiful, and magnificent butterfly. And, and, and so and when you look, when you put the, a caterpillar next to a butterfly, you wonder, how can something as ugly as that turn into something as beautiful as a butterfly? But the butterfly is being transformed into something beautiful and majestic, which bears no resemblance to its former self. Something completely different. That very word change describes the transformation of the caterpillar into a butterfly. And that's what we see here in 2 Corinthians 3 and verse 18 when he says, We are changed into the image of his son. We are becoming something far different that has no resemblance to our former self, but turning into something far more glorious than we ever imagined. And something else about the caterpillar is the caterpillar cannot vote whether it will become a butterfly or not. It doesn't go around trying on cocoons to see if it likes the idea before moving in. No, God has built in the very essence of this caterpillar this power to be transformed. So for the caterpillar, change is inevitable. It's destined to be a butterfly and nothing more. What are we destined to become? Change is inevitable. And now, the caterpillar may not look like much. Ugly. I mean, it just gives you the eebie-jeebies when you look at it crawling and stuff like that. But in that caterpillar, there's great possibilities. Because in the caterpillar, there's the ability to fly. In the caterpillar, there's the ability to look beautiful and majestic. In the same way we and I are being changed from the inside out into who we really are, into who we were meant to be. Ephesians 4.24 says, To put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous, and truly holy. We may not look like much. We may not like what we are. But in us, there's great possibilities. We were meant to fly. We were meant to look beautiful. We were meant to look majestic. We were meant to, to have and to enjoy the abundant life. We were meant to be more than who we are right now. Because in Christ, there's great possibilities. And my friends, because this is an ongoing process that's going on in our lives, it means that God is still working. I want you to go with me, John chapter 5 and verse 17. I love what Jesus says as he talks about God's work ethics. He says, my father is always working or at his work to this very day. And I too am working. So Think of the place in your life right now where you're struggling. Think about the place that you're in where you fail miserably and repeatedly. And let me encourage you this morning that there's a work going on inside of you. And God is changing what is unchangeable and God is fixing what is unfixable. However, the decision is ours. God's not going to force change on you. God will convict you of change. But he will not force you to change. We have to allow him to change. Even the speed of this transforming process that's going on in us also depends on us. So either we can be more and more like Jesus or we can stay more and more like the caterpillar. Turn to the person behind you and tell them, don't be a caterpillar. You're better than that. I said turn around and tell them not to have a conversation with them. (laughs) But but inside every believer there's a Christ-likeness that is being formed and ready to be manifested outwardly into the image and glory of the Lord. And the Bible says that this miraculous inside-out change is the experience of every true believer. Now, Part of change is rebuilding what is broken. God promised change because change is necessary. And part of that change is God fixing some things in our lives. It's just like the little boy who came to his dad with a broken toy, and he said, Dad, can you fix this toy? And so the dad takes the toy, he looks at it, and he studies it, and and trying to figure out the best way to repair its brokenness. But the boy started becoming a little impatient. And he tells his dad, Dad, hurry up, hurry up, Dad. So the dad continues to make the few adjustments here and trying to work on it and doing whatever he needs to do. But the boy was becoming even more impatient. Finally, he just couldn't wait any longer. So he grabs the toy from his dad. He says, never mind. I'll just play with it the way it is. That's where many Christians are today. They settled in their brokenness and they struggle throughout their lives without allowing God to fix what's broken and understand that God is a fixer of broken things look at Psalm 34 and look at verse 18 it said that the Lord is near to those who have broken who have a broken heart that word broken signifies something that is shattered into pieces he said, the Lord is near those who, are, who have a shattered heart or a broken heart and save such as have a contrite or crushed spirit. Now that word save is the Hebrew word yasha, which means to deliver, to preserve, or to help. But it also means to gain victory from whatever he's saving you from. So God is able to save us. And rebuild us from whatever is broken in our lives. And even straighten out all of the crooked places in our lives. I want you to look at Isaiah chapter 65 and look at verse 24. God is always in front of our problems. In Isaiah 65 and verse 24 it says this. It shall come to pass that, watch this, before they call, I will answer. And while, and while they are still speaking... I will hear. He not only knows what needs fixing, but God always is ahead of your problems, even before you even bring it before Him in your prayers. He says, Before they call, I will answer. I like what Jesus says in Matthew 6 and verse 8 when He says, For your Father knows what things you have need of before you ask. But he doesn't just hear our prayers. What God does, he preemptively steps in front of them and then gets ahead of it. God is always several steps ahead of our prayers. And God can change and fix anything or anyone. Now, you may not be happy where you are and you may not be where you want to be. You may not even be a finished product. But let me encourage you. God is working on it. Amen? God is working on it. The worst thing you can say about yourself is this. I can never change. How many of you ever said that? Never mind, don't put your hands up. But the worst thing you can say is, I can never change. Because what you're really saying is, God, you can't change me. But I know some of you remember the story when Jesus and his disciples were invited to a wedding feast. And the host ran out of wine. And so Jesus took six water pots filled with water and he changed each one of them into wine. Now, this is not just any wine. This was the best of wine, the finest wine. This was a quality wine. If Jesus can change water into wine, imagine what the change that God can do in us with that same power. Look at Luke chapter 18 and look at verse 27. Jesus says, "The things which are impossible with men are possible with God." In other words, nothing in our life is beyond God's ability to fix. Look at Jeremiah 16 and look at verse 17. "Behold, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm and there is nothing too hard for you. God promised to make something of us. And he created a blueprint for our character and for our lives. When you move into a new house that someone once lived in it is your house. Even though the person that used to live there don't live there anymore. And the person that used to live there, the old tenants, the old owners, may have been dirty, they may, may have been unkept, unclean, filthy, despicable. And the house that you purchased from them may have reflected who they were. But now you moved in and you're a clean person. So when you move into that house, all you're concerned about is stripping those walls and cleaning those floors and updating the bathroom and cutting the grass and replacing the windows and all these things. Why? Because you moved in. And because you're there, the whole house takes takes on a whole different appearance because you're present, because you live in that house. In the same way, When Jesus, before he came into our house, the old man, the old you, that lived in this house called the body, used to live there. We as the old person, the old you, used to live in this old body. But now, a new resident moved in. His name is Jesus. And this new resident is clean. He's holy. He's pure. He's, he's righteous. <laughs> and when he moves in, he can make the house look good. Even though this is an old house, he can paint it up. Even though he moves into this old house, he can fix it up. Even though he moved into this house, he can still clean it up and do all that is necessary and straighten out everything that is wrong in your life. Why? Because you have a new resident living on the inside of you. He just moved in. And not because the bodily, your body has changed, but because you have a new resident. You have someone on the inside that has moved in, and he can make a difference in your whole appearance. So I say that to say this. Since you have a new resident living on the inside of you, stop keeping him from cleaning and repairing and fixing and doing all the necessary changes... in your life so that you can become everything that you were required and and expected to be and were created to be are you beginning to see the, the goal that God has for each one of us God just wants us to be better than who we are right now maybe he's trying to make you more patient maybe he's trying to make you more unselfish maybe he's trying to make you more generous maybe he's trying to make you more righteous or more holy, or maybe he's trying to make you a greater witness in the workplace. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, "God is trying to tell you something." But God wants to make something of you. Look at First Chronicles chapter 29. Look at verse 12. 1 Chronicles 29, look at verse 12. He says, both riches and honor come from you, and you reign over all. And in your hand is power and might. Watch this. In your hand is to what? Make great and to give strength to all. God wants to do a makeover in our lives. God has the ability to make something of us so that we can line up with uh, line up with this specific the, the the manufactured specifications which which is to be like jesus and understand that god has been transforming lives all of for, for centuries since the beginning look at what he wanted to do with abraham in genesis chapter 12 look at verse 2 he says and i will make you a great nation he says i will bless you and make your name great And you shall be a blessing. Now, what's interesting here is this, this is God's very first encounter with Abraham. And already he wants to make something of him. He says, Abraham, I want to make something of you. He says, first, I'm going to make you a great nation. Then I'm going to make your name great. And then after that, I want to make you a blessing. God wasn't through with Abraham. Look at Genesis chapter 17 and look at verse 6. He says, And I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings shall come from you. Deuteronomy 28 and 13, it says, And the Lord will make you the head and not the tail. And you shall be above only and not beneath. Even the Apostle Paul in Acts 26 and verse 16, when he recounted his first encounter with the Lord Jesus on the road to Damascus and began to share the very words that Jesus spoke to him in that first encounter. In verse 16, Jesus said this, But rise and stand up on your feet, Paul, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, and that is to what? To make you a minister and a witness both of the things which are have seen and the things which you have not seen or revealed to you. God is making something of us. From the very first encounter that we had with him, he already wanted to make something of you. But we get in his way and we slow up the process. <clears throat> and I don't want to get ahead of myself. Even Jesus, in Matthew 4 and verse 19, as he was walking by, he saw these fishermen tending nets... And he stopped and he says, Follow me, and I will make you fishes of men. And so these men dropped what they were doing, left everything behind, and followed Jesus. Jesus was able to transform ordinary fishermen into extraordinary fishes of men. And notice the condition for being made into fishes of men. The condition is follow me. There must be a surrendering of oneself in order for change to take place in our lives. Jesus says that in order for change to take place, there must be a dying to self. Jesus says that if any man come after me, let him deny himself first. Take up his cross and then follow me. And when we meet those conditions, God is able to make you into someone you were destined to be. I like the attitude that John the Baptist had. He says, Jesus must increase while I decrease. Jesus, who lives inside of us, must increase more and more. He must become greater and greater in us while we decrease and become lesser and lesser. Now, I'm running out of time here. We know that change is necessary. But let's be real, we also know that change can be challenging. Amen? When God convicts us of change, He must always contend with our stubbornness to change, He must contend with our unwillingness to change, He must contend with our fears for change. And He often has to contend with our lack of faith for change. There are many who struggle to be free from certain weaknesses, certain habits, some sinful patterns that have taken root before they came to Christ, and then after years of following Christ, and after much effort and much prayer, still remain unchanged. Why is that? The transformation that you and I long for must come from the divine method that God has prescribed. There is no other method for for change except through this method that God had chosen. There was an archbishop from Canterbury who used Shakespeare as an illustration to make this point. He said this, It is no good giving me a play like Hamlet or King Lear and then telling me to write a play like that. He said, Shakespeare can do it, but I can't. Then he says this, It is no good showing me a life like the life of Jesus, and then telling me to live a life like that. Jesus could do it, but I can't. But if the genius of Shakespeare could come and live in me, then I can write plays like Shakespeare. Now watch this. And if the spirit of Jesus could come and live in me, then I can live the life or a life like Jesus. Now I want you to go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and look at verse 18. But we all with an unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. How? By the Spirit of the Lord. This divine method that God has prescribed is the power of the Holy Spirit that lives on the inside of us. The power to change doesn't come from any other source. Except the Holy Ghost. And this was the Spirit of God that will change us from one degree of glory to another degree of glory. And the only solution for change is for the Holy Spirit to do for us what you and I cannot do for ourselves. It is God's goal to make us like Christ, and the Spirit of God is the way that He chose to do that. Oh my goodness, I wish I had more time. When we're saved, And and the Holy Spirit takes up residence in our hearts and it begins the the process of transforming change into the image of Christ. The scripture says in Titus 3 verse 5 that he saved us not because of the righteous things that we had done but because of his mercy. He washed away our sins giving us a new birth uh, or a new life through the Holy Spirit. So we can become so much more than what we once were through the extraordinary workings of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Now, as I get ready to close. God promised to continue this transforming process until his return. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6 says this. Being confident of this very thing that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it or complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Now, let me read that to you from the Amplified Version. And I am convinced and sure of this very thing that who, he who began a good work in you will continue until the day of Jesus Christ, right up to the time of his return developing that good work and perfecting and bringing it to a full completion in you now what that tells me is that there will be a day of completion there will be a final day a day when the the, the process of transformation becomes complete go with me to first corinthians chapter 15 beginning in verse 51 Paul here was referring to the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 51, he says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall all not sleep, but we shall all be changed. And he says in verse 52 how this is going to happen. He says, in a moment, in an instant, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. In other words, when Jesus returns, when we hear that last trump, instantly we're going to be changed. And he goes on to say, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall all be changed. And for this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. On that day, our transformation will become complete because now will be complete inside and on the outside. We're going to receive new bodies that are incorruptible, new bodies that are immortal, bodies that cannot die, that cannot get sick, and it's going to correlate with what's inside of us. And what's important is in 1 John 3 and verse 2 says this, beloved, now we are children of God. It has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but when we know, we know that when he is revealed, which is when he comes, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is throughout our lives God has been transforming us into the image of his son now will come a day when we will become completely like his son exactly because we will see him as he is we will become like him hallelujah in the last days when the Lord Jesus return we will reach that final stage of glory And that's going to be a wonderful and awesome time. Hallelujah. God is still transforming your life. And he will do it right to the very end until Jesus returns. Hallelujah. Now as we close. If you're here this morning and you've never given your life to the Lord. And those of you who are watching, if you've never given your life to the Lord. And you've heard this message about change. And how change is possible. It starts with inviting Christ into your hearts. You may not be happy where you are. You may not be happy with yourself. You may may not even be proud of some of the things you've done. I know because I've been there. But if you want to change, the only way that change will occur, the only way that change will happen is if you first invite the Lord Jesus into your heart. So what I want to do is I want to pray for you tonight, uh, this morning. So at this time I want all eyes closed, no one looking around. Those who are watching, I also want you to include you as well if you're if you're watching and, and that's you, I want you to close your eyes. No one looking around. And I want to pray, but before I pray, just so I'll know who's out there and who needs this prayer. If you can just show a, a, a show of hands. Can I see a show of hands this morning? If you want change, if you've never given your life to the Lord and you want change, please raise your hands. I want to pray for you. All right, well, I'm going to pray anyways especially for those who are watching, I want you to say this with me. I want you to say, Father, I acknowledge my great need for change in my life. I believe that Jesus is your Son who came to this earth, lived, died, and rose from the dead, all for me, <coughs> that my sins could be forgiven. I want to give my whole life and my whole heart to you. And I want to turn away from all the evil in my life. And I want to follow you all the days of my life. Forgive me of my sins. And please lead me and take hold of my life. In Jesus' name. Amen amen. Now.